But turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, we're coming toward the end. This is the final revelation uh, for mankind. We've been looking at chapters 21 and 22, seeing what we call the eternal state. We saw the new heaven, the new earth, the new city, and now we're going to continue through there. So we call this really the final revelation in the Word of God, and it is. It is the book of Revelation. It's the final revelation. We've been studying this book, putting it together. As we come to chapter 22, we're continuing seeing the description of the eternal state. And that's what we call it. Uh, there's a kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And then there's this, what we call the eternal kingdom, which is the eternal state. And it goes on forever. This is the place where believers will be with Jesus forever. We have seen the new heaven and earth. We've seen the holy city. What will it be like in eternity? What will we do? Well, as we continue this morning, we're going to look at some details on that. We're going to look just at the first nine verses of chapter 22, and then we'll look at the next the next week, and then after that, we'll put together the whole book of Revelation, and that will be our study. So we'll see how it fits together. Well, a pastor by the name of John Henry Jowett lived a long time ago. He says, the Bible opens in a garden and closes in a garden, opens in paradise, closes in paradise. The first is the paradise that is lost, and the second is the paradise that is gained or regained. God is prepared prepared a place for us. We think about it. Jesus told the men, he said, let not, heart, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get it all ready, I'll come back and get you. That's the place. And so we're now looking at the place that we're going to be with Jesus Christ forever. It's amazing. People say, well, I can't imagine what it would be like in heaven. I mean, are we going to have like angel wings, or what, are we going to float around? What's going to happen? I've had some people say, well, I mean, I don't know what we'd do forever. It sounds boring, but the, but the truth is it's not, because we're going to look at it. We'll see exactly what we will do, and in fact, as we look at this passage, it actually says his bondservants will serve him. So we're going to look at this. We're going to see how it fits together. Let me give you the outline, basically, of the book. This is what we've been seeing over all these weeks and months, but uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the church. Actually, chapter 1 is a vision that John saw uh, of, of God, of Jesus Christ. And then chapters 2 and 3 go give the letters to the churches. Chapters 4 through 19 is the tribulation time period. The end of chapter 19 through chapter 20 is the return of Christ, the kingdom and the judgment. And then now, chapters 21 and 22 is the eternal state. So this is where we are. And in this, we're seeing the description. Uh, chapter 21 gave us the description of the city. In fact, we saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's just amazing. We're, we have a heaven and a earth right now. In fact, it's actually called the heavens. It's always plural. The heavens and the earth. But God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and earth have passed away. God makes a new heaven and earth. The old was polluted. And Jesus or God makes all things new. Then we saw a city. It's called New Jerusalem, the holy city. In fact, in verse 21, he says, I saw a new, of chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then in chapter, verse 2 of chapter 21, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And so we're seeing, and last week, we actually went in some details, and we saw what is written in chapter 21 about Jerusalem. There was an old Jerusalem, which was on the earth, which we know where it is. It's the capital. It's going to be the capital of Jesus during the kingdom. But there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And last time, we saw a description of this city in chapter 21. Think about it. It was gigantic, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. We had this like drawing that somebody drew that just shows you, it's like a cube possibly, how gigantic the city is going to be. It's going to be like 166,000 stories up. 
each one of those going 1,500 miles you know, in either direction. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievably big. We saw that there are 12 gates, that each gate is a single pearl. It's got the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. We saw 12 foundation stones, and they're all different colors, and they got the names of the 12 apostles. And so when people have talked about it, they've always said things like, in the pearly gates and the streets of gold. Well, this passage says there's a, there's a gate that's a single pearl. Each of the 12 gates is a single pearl. And the streets are made out of gold. In fact, you can see through it. And there's 12 foundation stones and uh, everything is shining and sparkling. And so people say, is this really true? And let me just tell you, we mentioned it last week. I think that whatever it says here is exactly right. It could be that what we're going to experience is beyond what we could imagine or understand. And it could be that he describes this eternal place uh, with things we can understand and then when we get there, we see things even beyond that. I don't know. That's possible. I think that we're going to see it. If we look at it this way, there'll be 12 gates or giant pearls. There'll be 12 foundation stones. The city will be this big. It will be amazing. We said that there's no temple there. The throne of God is there, but no temple is there. So as we look this morning, here is the breakdown of the passage. We're going to see verses 1 through 5 in chapter 22. It talks about the river of life, the tree of life, and the throne of God. And then it just mentions Christ's coming and, the, and John's response. And we're going to see how that ties together, and we'll see a lot more. And, of course, next week we'll, we'll actually finish uh, chapter 22. So let's start. Look at chapter 22. Look at verse 1, and what we find is there's a river of life flowing from the throne of God. Look what it says. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. So he starts off and he says, there's this river flowing. Now we saw this city and the walls and all that around it. And apparently inside that city, there is the throne of God. Notice it says, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now let's stop for just a second. There's a river coming out from the throne of God. There is no temple, but there's a throne. Now, we already saw back in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we saw what it looked like, what the throne of God looked like. There's this throne, and we said that there was the Father sitting on the throne, and yet he, he, it didn't look like a person necessarily. There was something there, and it was red, and sometimes you could see through it and everything. And then beside the throne was the Lamb, the Lamb of God. That's Jesus, and they were there. And then there were seven fire spirits around, and those were the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the throne of God looks like. In this passage, it says there was this river coming from the throne of God. The river is the river of life, the river that brings life, the water of life. In the Bible, God uses the idea of water as being the salvation message. We're going to see at the very end in Revelation 22, he says, the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who hears take the water of life without cost. And when we looked at it, when Jesus talking to the woman at the well, he said, if you knew who was asking, you would ask for the living water. And then he said, because when you get the living water, what will boil up in you, bubble up in you will be eternal life. And so in the scripture, this whole idea of clear water and water is the idea of eternal life. We have those little booklets out there called the living waters. We just got in 10,000 of them, 10,000. So you can have them, get, take them, hand them out to people. They're the gospel of John with a clear grace message at the back of it. But they're called the living waters because they're based off the gospel of John. So John says, I saw a river 
of the water of life. The water of life is the thing that's the idea of salvation. Crystal, clear as crystal coming. And when you think about eternal life, eternal life is in a person. Eternal life is in the person of Jesus Christ. John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God and Jesus who's in him. Eternal life is a person. Jesus says, I am what? The way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the life and he is the way. So eternal life is not in an event, so to speak. Eternal life is in a person. Jesus Christ offers to you the gift of eternal life to all who simply believe. Now notice it says, he showed me this river and there was the throne of God and of the lamb. Now they're put there together. The throne of God is the God and the lamb. And so somehow there's the father and the lamb. Let me just throw something out for you to think about for a second. The Father's a spirit being, and the Holy Spirit's a spirit being. Jesus was a spirit being until he became a human being. He left the glories of heaven and took on the form of a human being. He's us. So he's the God-man. Well, some say that when we get there and we see the throne, and the throne is of God and the Lamb, that we may not be able to see God in the sense because he's a, a spirit being, and that we may only see Jesus Christ. Who knows? We know that in the descriptions that John sees, he sees something sitting on the throne. I think that's the Father, and then he sees the Lamb. So I I don't know. This says that there's the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it's in the middle of the street. So we're going to see that. Now, in the middle of the street, he goes on to say, in the middle of the street, on either side of, of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So in the middle of the street, there's there's the river going down the middle of the street. Can you just picture that? There's the throne of God, which we can't hardly grasp, where it's got God the Father and the Son and the spirits around it. And probably, if it's like what we saw in Revelation, it's got the 24 elders, it's got the four angels, it's got all the other angels, there's all of this there. And then there's a water, a river coming out from there. And on either side of this river is a tree, or trees, the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And we'll come back and talk about that. So in the middle of the street, there's this tree. On each side of the river, which flowed in the middle of the street, was the tree of of life. Now, you remember the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden, when God put Adam in the garden, there was a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam, before he even created the woman, he said, you can eat from any tree here except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that means they could have eaten from the tree of life. They could have. But then he, he, there was the woman. His, uh, Adam's name was Adamah. Uh, the Hebrew word for man is Ish. Her name was Isha, which means out of, out of man. And so they were in the garden, and they ate from the wrong tree. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then that was the fall and the cursing, and, and, they, and they had to be moved out. And so there's, you've heard of the tree of life. And so in this little section, we see the river of life, and the tree of life. And that's the whole idea that here is life, life forever. Now notice it says, um, on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. It's the fruit of the month tree, think about it. And so yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So every month, there is a, a, a different fruit. Now, some people say it's 12 different fruits all the time and then every month it comes up new or that every month there's a different fruit. We just don't know. 
we'll know one day, we'll know. Now, people say things like, you know, when you get to heaven or get to eternity, there'll be no time. No, there'll be time. Because this tree is going to produce its fruit when? Every what? Every month. And so I want you to understand something. In eternity, the eternal state, there will, there will never be any lack or want because we're going to have all this stuff. But here's the great truth. Eternity is not the end of time. It's the extension of time. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. So what have we seen there? We've seen the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the 12 fruits. There's continual provision and blessing. There's always going to be anything we need. And when we talk about it, we're going to have glorified bodies, bodies that will never wear out. What will we look like? What will we be like? What we need to eat? What we want to eat? Uh, people, you're not going to die. You're going to live forever. Uh, what will we do? And what about this tree? And I'm going to give you a little bit more information in a second because you notice it says something a little bit weird. In fact, this is a thing that everybody looks at and says, what does this mean? Let me read it to you again. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now watch. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What, what does that mean? What do you mean healing? You've got a glorified body and you're not going to wear out and you're not going to get sick. What does it mean healing of the nations? Well, Dr. Walford, who was the president of Dallas Seminary when I was there, he said this, the word there has the idea of enjoyment and provision. And by the way, there is the, the Greek word, uh, we get therapy from this word. And, and this Greek word can be translated like therapy or healing, but it is also translated to serve or to attend. So what I think this is actually saying, probably be a better translation would be that the leaves of the tree were for the serving or attending to the nations. It's sort of like there's a blessing with this tree, not only from the fruit, but from the leaves. And so it's not like people get sick and they got to go to the tree, rub the leaves on them and it heals them. I think it just means that it will be a blessing from that tree. So notice he goes, the other one to say, there'll no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the lambs, once again, they're put together. The throne of God and the lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. There's no longer any curse. The curse began in the garden when Isha, the woman, Take the, took the fruit that she wasn't supposed to take, the tree from the knowledge of good and evil, gave it to her husband, and he ate. They were side by side. By the way, if you ever take my class, when we go through um, the 2-2 four, the, uh, study, we'll look at this. Also, we look at it some, at some different times. But when Eve took the fruit, Adam wasn't far away. Adam was right beside her. She ate and gave to him, and he ate. So when they did that, there was a curse. And they were cursed, Satan was cursed, snake was cursed, the man and the woman were cursed, and the whole earth was cursed. And in this verse, he says, there will no longer be any curse. The curse is over with. The curse on the earth is finished. And, and we realize that the whole earth was cursed. If you remember in Romans, it says that the creation itself will be set free. Set free from what? From the corruption, from its slavery to corruption. That's the curse. Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, whole world, everything groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. That's what's going on. The whole, we got a fallen world that groans, we got fallen bodies, we got a fallen people, it's a fallen, cursed world. When we get to the eternal state, there will be no more curse. It'll never be that way. Notice it says, there will no longer be any curse at all, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And we've seen it already, the throne of God and the Lamb. So what's it going to be like? Will there be 
two seats? Would there be one seat, one throne, and the Father and the Son beside it? We already know that where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Is that what it's going to look like? Will there be the, 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 the throne and the Father on the throne? Somehow we can see him and Jesus Christ beside it. But it doesn't say thrones. It says, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So I don't know exactly. We, we can look at it and we say, we just don't know what that means and how it fits together. And, and so we see that we'll never be separated. Look, it says, and his bond service will serve him and they will see his face. Listen, God and his creation, we will never be separated from God. Ever. Ever. What can separate us from the love of God? What? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from God and his love. And we're going to be with him. He created us. He redeemed us. All based on his grace, mercy, and love. And that's what we're going to see. And we see the love of our God and Savior. Now, what? What will we do? Look what the verse says. There'll no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bond servants will serve him. What are we going to do forever? We're not going to sit around with angels on clouds. We're going to be in a city. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be with Jesus Christ. We'll see the throne of God. We will see him. We're going to talk more about it in just a second. And we will serve him forever. It is amazing. In fact, uh, that's what we're going to do. We'll serve the living God forever. This word has an idea of uh, the relationship can never be broken, can never be separated. This, this word, let me go back over here for a second. This word serve right here has an idea of spiritual service. It means I'm doing things for God. I'm doing things that God wants me to do. And so when you think about it, the relationship will never be broken. Nothing can ever separate us from God. We are God's children, children of God, saints and servants. We get to serve God. Now, let me read it again. And his bond servants, that's us, will serve him. What is the basis for our service? What is the basis? Well, it goes back to what we call the judgment seat of Christ, which is our reward stand. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we are, that's talking about the believers, I think this went out. For we will stand before the judgment, the word judgment there means reward. We will stand before the rewarding seat of Christ. Each one may be recompensed, given back for his deeds, the good deeds, in the body, whether they're good or, and this word bad means worthless. You, one of these days, you, each one of us, individually, will stand before our Savior to be rewarded based on how we served him now. So it's important what you do with your life now, whether you live for Jesus Christ or not, because when you stand before him, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because based on how you served him now, you will have places of service in the kingdom, and you will have places of service in the eternal state, which goes on forever. You will serve him. That's what we're talking about. And that's why 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body. What are you supposed to do with this life? We know we have the gift of eternal life. It costs us absolutely nothing. We believe in Jesus to give us eternal life. But then what do we do as a child of God, as one who has believed in Christ for eternal life? We're to live for him in such a way so that when we stand before him, he looks at us and says, well done, good job. This is for you. And that's what we get to do for him forever. 
And, and so look at the next verse because it's so powerful. They will see his face. That's what the bond servants and his name will be written on their foreheads. Do you realize we will see his face and written right there is his name. That means we belong to him. We have access. Heaven, the new heaven and earth is a place prepared for God's people. Look how we're described in 1 Peter. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. We may proclaim the excellence of him who have called us. We called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We're going to see his face. Let me read it to you again because I want you to think about something. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, who are you going to see? Is it Jesus' face? Is it the Father's face? Do you remember when Moses said, I'd like to see you, God, I'd like to see you, and God said, wait a minute, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, I will pass by, you can see my back, I'll unveil it so you can see my back, but nobody can see my face and live. Is there going to come a time when we can see the Father's face? And live, or will it only be Jesus' face and live? Whatever. We just know that it says we're going to be there. We'll see his face. We'll be identified with him. Our name, his name will be on us. It's going to be powerful. Well, we're not through. Notice he says, and there will, here he goes on. It says, there'll no longer be any night. They will not have the need of the light of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, there's no need of the night. There won't be any night, no longer any night, no need of the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's always been the light of the world. In fact, look at this, Revelation 21, 23, and the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is illuminated it, and its lamp, look who it is, is the Lamb. In the, book of Reve- in the book of Isaiah, the people would see a great light. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus said he is the light of the world. And John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in him Jesus was life, and the light was the what? The light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Darkness can't comprehend it. Just realize that. It is amazing that we get to see the light, that we don't have to worry about darkness. I, I, I mean, I, I, will we sleep? There's not going to be any night. What will it be like? We have no idea. This is so far beyond what we can imagine. Albert Barnes said this. He said, it is a world of perfect light. No night, no darkness, no error, no sin. Notice the end of verse 5. They will reign forever and ever. We will be with him forever and ever. We'll be serving him forever and ever in the eternal kingdom. I want you to understand something. There was a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. We call that the millennial kingdom. There is the eternal state where Jesus rules forever. This is also called the kingdom. The kingdom was for a thousand years on the old heaven and earth. That's this earth. There'll be a new heaven and earth and there'll be an eternal kingdom. Look what, Paul, what uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.11. He says, for this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. There is the eternal kingdom in which you will serve Jesus Christ forever. Henry Bosch wrote this. He said, no earthly joy can fully express what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even comprehend it to enter heaven to be welcome home. Can you imagine it? Stop for a minute and think, 
What will it be like in the eternal state when you have a body that will never wear out? You will be with Jesus. You will see with Jesus. And you will get to be with him and serve him forever. It's beyond your comprehension. We can just say, well, I think what I could think maybe what it's going to be like. A.T. Pearson said, there's no more curse, it's perfect restoration. There's lamb is on his throne, perfect administration. The believer is going to be serving, perfect subordination. The names will be on the forehead, that's our perfect identification. And we'll be ruling, that's perfect exaltation. So quickly in the time we have left, I want you to see three things. He ends this part by giving the confirmation of the truths of the revelation. He's going to say how true it is. The imminence of the return of Christ, he says he's coming soon, and the exhortation to worship God. And so let's see it quickly in Revelation 22, 6. Here's what he says about the truth. He says, and he said to me in verse 6, these words are faithful and true, said the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. Send his angel to show his bondservants the things which must take place. It's faithful and true. Listen, everything God says always comes to pass. Everything that God says is always true. Everything we've seen in the book of Revelation is faithful and true. Listen, how do you view the Bible? Do you view that everything in the Bible is faithful and true? I'm just going to do this real quickly because of lack of time. It's been about 15 years ago. There was a group uh, in California. They called themselves the Jesus Seminar. They said they were Bible scholars. Usually when somebody tells you they're a Bible scholar, that means they don't believe the Bible. Okay? They decided they would meet together and decide what words in the Bible Jesus actually said. And they came up and basically said, out of the whole gospel of John, Jesus only said one verse that they thought he actually said. They even said John 3.16, Jesus never said that. It was written down later by the church. That just tells you that there are some people, they go to the Bible and they say, well, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. The truth is the Bible is true, it is faithful and just. Let me give you one other thing, I just want to show it to you because it's kind of fun to look at this. What about the context? Does it matter, the context of, because people will pull out a verse and they'll say, look at this verse, and I'll go, well, what's the context? How does it fit together? Let me show you some verses that aren't in context, okay? How about this one? Let him that steal, uh, let him that stole steal. What? Actually, the verse goes on to say, let him that stole steal no more. Or how about Psalm 14.1? There is no God. It actually says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then in 1 Timothy 16.7, charge them that are rich. Charge them what? It actually goes on to say, charge them to be faithful and to be loving and to be giving. So you can't, you have to look at a verse and its context, not only the whole verse, but how it fits in the passage. It is so beautiful. Now, so here's the second thing. The first thing is the word is true. The second thing is the promise, which he's coming fast. He's coming fast. He's coming quickly. Uh, look at verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Same thing as he said in Revelation 1.1, he's coming quickly. Now, what that means is, it doesn't mean he's coming like in the next five minutes. And he could. He could come at any second. It means that when he comes, he comes fast. When he comes, it's going to happen really fast. It is amazing. Think about it. We know that when he comes to get us, what's going to happen? Didn't Christ rise first? We are alive and rain. We caught up together. How's that happen? Happens in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be gone. 
When he comes, he comes quickly. When he comes right here, he's coming to set up a kingdom and rule for righteousness, and then all in eternity. So he's telling John, uh, I'm coming quickly. When I come, it's going to be really fast, and blessed is the one that holds to these truths, that, that holds to the, to the Bible. Blessed is the one who believes and takes these truths. Uh, listen, I, I remember before I started studying Revelation, I had somebody write me and say, you know, it is a blessing to read the book of Revelation. Well, that's true, but there's more to it. Blessed is he who reads the, and those who hear. That means they not only read it, but they know what it says, and they heed the things that are written there. They live it out. So it's more than just reading the book. We've gone all the way through it. We've read it. We've looked at it. We've studied it, and we've taught it, and we said, here's the way we can make applications. So the, the third thing is that John's response, he wants to, there's the exhortation to worship God. So what does John say in verse 8? I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. I, I, I'm the one that wrote this stuff. I'm the one that told you. John proclaimed the revelation of Jesus Christ to us. But look what happens. And when I heard and I saw it, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And the angel said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brother, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. The angel says, don't worship me. Worship God. The response by the angel, worship God. We respond to the living God, not to anything else. Now, worship is not the music. The music is great, and you can worship with music, but worship is not, music is not worship. Worship is responding to God. That's what it is. How do we do that? As we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study, as we make application, all of those are acts of worship, and that's why you'll hear me say that sometimes. So when they're singing, we're all singing the songs together, we're worshiping God. When we give, we're worshiping God. When we're studying the Bible, we're worshiping God. When we're making application, we're worshiping God. When we're praying to God, we're responding to Him, we're worshiping God. So we've seen the description of the eternal state. Jesus says, it's all true. I'm coming fast. And John fell down to worship the angel. The angel said, don't do that. Just worship God. Let me quickly give you some applications. May we, may we imagine the eternal state and what God has for us. We can't do it. But we can see the things that are written there. We can see what he says. It's, it's beyond what we could comprehend. But then someday we're going to be in a city. We're going to be in a place. There's going to be abundance of everything. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more darkness. There'll be no sadness. Sorrow will be with Jesus. We can see him. We can see his face. We can be with him. Let's serve God now as his bond service. Listen, how you serve him now, you'll get to serve him later. You want to get to serve him, and you want to get to serve him in good places, so to speak? then serve him now. That's what he actually says. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And he says, take this. It's prepared for you. So let's serve him now as well as serve him later. The third thing is let's worship God. And we just talked about it. Worship is responding to God. Worship is response. So as we sing and as we pray and as we give and as we respond to the word of God, may we worship him. And that's what worship is. What a great morning. What we'll do next week is we'll finish Revelation 22. There's some amazing things in there. We will hear him say these words. The one who is thirsty, come and take the water of life without cost. It's a gift. It's free. Salvation is a gift. It is the water of life and it's free. And whoever believes will never perish, but have everlasting life.